Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Hello, good morning, and welcome. Today is Tuesday, the 30th of April, 2019. Huh, that makes this the final day of April. Hard to believe May is nearly upon us. Wow. Um, anyway, today is episode 102, and we've got another special guest today. It's Henry Bzeh. He's the SVP and CTO of Flex. So I had never actually heard of Flex before, Um but this is a pretty fascinating discussion, not least of which because Flex is a rather different sort of company from which Henry joins us today. Um, simply put, they're not just sort of another plucky little startup in the autonomous vehicle space. No, Flex has actually been around, well, in startup terms, forever, uh, since 1969. Uh, Flex is a, it's essentially a large manufacturing firm, um, I'll just read to you their little pitch on LinkedIn here. It says, Flex is the sketch-to-scale solutions provider that designs and builds intelligent products for a connected world. So Henry comes at us today from the vantage point of all the manufacturing work the folks are doing over at Flex and his perspectives on all the development of autonomous vehicle technology, infrastructure, and sort of where things are headed. Real quick, though, before we dive in, um, I wanted to share with you something actually a week ago, but it didn't happen. Uh, I, uh, I've i got an article coming out about, well, my podcast. Um, it's going to show up on the, uh, on the Authority Magazine publication on Medium. That's over at medium.com. Yeah, it was supposed to go live coincidentally last week with our 100th episode on the 23rd of April. That was last Tuesday. Uh, it was pushed back to today, but as of this moment, as of this recording, it's not yet live. Um, I expect it to go live later today, and when I do, I will, of course, share the link on all my social medias at Autonomous Hogue, be it Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, I guess I can't share an article on Instagram, um, but yeah, so be sure to keep an eye open for that, and I don't know, hopefully it'll be interesting um, to give a bit of backstory, some context to kind of how and why I started this podcast and, you know, how I ended up here with 102 episodes in uh, just over 14 months. Right. Anyway, uh, that's all I got to say about that. So why don't we uh, get started the next 30 minutes or so with Henry Bzeh, SV, excuse me, SVP and CTO at Flex begins now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Henry, uh, great of you to join in, join all of us this morning. Thanks so much for making the time. 
Um, obviously, you've got a pretty varied background and certainly flex. I should say, just on a personal note, this is a really exciting chance to chat with you because um, what you guys do with flex is much more sort of, I guess, varied than most of the other folks we've had the chance to speak with. You're not obviously a, an, an AV company per se. You guys do a lot of, as I understand it, sort of engineering, outsourcing, and manufacturing. So I'm, I'm imagining you have a pretty cool high-level view of the AV space generally. I'm guessing it's one of the verticals you guys tackle, but uh, how about I stop guessing, hand it over to you. Would love to learn about your background and flex overall. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity to chat. So about me, just 25 years in this uh, automotive business, uh, a lot of it spent uh, in the OEM space. So I worked for Ford uh, for a while and then uh, Kia Motors out in Irvine and joined Flex about a year ago. And uh, basically, just to segue to the company Flex, uh, a company, a $26 billion company in revenue, uh, has 12 different or 30 different segments, uh, pretty much in all the technology aspects, uh, whether it's uh, automotive, medical, uh, industrial, compute, uh, cloud, uh, what have you. So uh, not too much known about Flux. You know, it's not a brand, but uh, definitely uh, we do a lot of behind the scenes work. And uh, this is why, uh, you know, the OEMs, they come to us on the autonomous space because we we bridge that compute capability that we, we can do very well. Uh, think of it as a server space and automotive. So bridging those two together with the high demands for compute on autonomous vehicles, Flex is this, this unique position to provide this, this value of compute automotive grade. And so we find ourselves in this, in this very unique, unique position within the, the industry. Got it. Okay. So let's see. Let me take a step back just for a moment. So I was actually supposed to be at WCX up in Detroit a couple of weeks ago. Would have been great to, to have met uh, in person, obviously. I just stumbled across uh, something you stated on one of your uh, onstage events. I'll just read you this quote. I think I got this from your LinkedIn. You said, the biggest challenge with autonomous vehicles is the first deployment. It is our responsibility to make sure things go right. What do you yep. mean by that exactly? When you say first deployment, what exactly? I mean, I think I know what you mean, but I'd love to hear it from you. Yeah. No, absolutely. So in my 25 years, I can tell you that the, the development of these compute systems are the most complex undertaking that anybody can, can do. I mean, there's definitely, I can state that very clearly. This is the first time we actually embarking on the compute, a highly high compute space and put that in the car. Uh, Are you normally, talking about camera vision, for example, computer vision for the cameras, for example, or LIDAR or everything? What? HD maps, so, all of it? Yeah, that's a great point. So there's the perception side of, of the of the equation, which is your cameras, LIDARs, and radars that provide the inputs, the information about the world to the car. But this information has to be fed in into a computer that takes this information and makes sense out of it. So, uh, so this is where we're talking about here. The that required compute requirement or power to digest all this information coming in from all these inputs is tremendous. Like the factors are tremendous compared to what we have in class today. And so this computer, if you will, a supercomputer that's in the car uh, comes from the server space. So if you uh, look at enterprises, data centers, uh, you know, all the internet is using uh, for, uh, for compute, this is a adoption of that and is really being put in the car. 
The difference is here is that this is not a, not a data center where you have walls and air conditioning and is a well-behaved environment. You have a car that has to go through hot, cold, vibration, and all kinds of other environmental things. So the challenge kind of goes even higher. And so from a technology development perspective, the challenge is much, much definitely larger uh, to do these complex systems compared to technology that we know it, uh, for cars from the past. And so the deployment becomes kind of important because you don't want anything going wrong because if something goes wrong, there are lots at stake, right? If the computer is not functioning properly or it's not doing its job or there's some error states, you don't want to take any chances. There should be zero risk because the end game is a unfavored uh, occurrence, you know, whether uh, unintended consequence of, of the vehicle doing something it shouldn't be doing. Well, there's a lot of tangents I could go off on, but just to pick one in particular, if only for a moment, um, with respect to this risk factor, if anything goes wrong, it raises the question of the need for, you know, as they've had in aviation forever, double, triple, quadruple redundant systems, right? So I've mentioned this quite a few times during the course of the podcast, and one obvious pushback I heard on this was obviously if you do that with cars, you end up with an unacceptable price bump. Because right. of course, exactly. So, how do you balance this obvious need, or do you agree that there is a need for the same sort of double, triple, even quadruply redundant systems in the cars that we have in aviation? And if so, then how do you balance that with the, well, the obvious cost bump right. that I would imagine is almost going to scale linearly? Great, great question. And this is what the industry is grappling with right now. And so, I can tell you, there's definitely redundancies and everything that is uh, being put together from an architecture point of view. You have to have that redundancy because, again, you can't really put your eggs in that one basket because, again, yep. the, the intended consequence is not acceptable. And so, therefore, what happens is the cost goes up. So let's just say the average car today, transaction price, just round, rounding error here, 30000 mm-hmm. uh, Today's car with all this uh, buzz and whistles to make it run autonomously like a level 4 plus is 100000 Yep. So how can we pass that on to, a, to an average customer? We cannot. Therefore, uh, these deployments, as I keep referring to, first deployments are all centered around mobility services. So fleet services, mobility, B, you know, B2B type uh, situations in which there's a business case around uh, getting these vehicles on the road uh, and getting some recovery or learning or value out of these deployments. Now, but my expectation is that the price of this technology has to come down is such that has to be adjusted for inflation and in line with today's $30,000 price. But we won't see that until any, anything late in the late 2020s, you know, uh, when I see this happening. And so, uh, you know, the technology will come down in price because we'll become smarter, you know, we know more, we'll be able to be more efficient in architecture because right now it's like the kitchen sink, you know, because there's a lot of unknown, it's the first deployment, so it tends to be over-engineered, tends to have a lot of costs in it, has, tends to have uh, over-engineered products in it, and therefore kind of creates this, uh, this cost factor. But as we know more, we have uh, a track record, there's a lot of learning along the way. This is where the efficiencies, efficiencies will come into place. And I see a reduction and you have your price volume and, and the more you deploy, you know, the more technology is deployed then the cost will come down. Think of your TVs, you know, when they first came out, how expensive they were in terms of the LCD, and now look how cheap they are. So technology has a way of decaying in cost, and that's the kind of the expectation. It's going to take time. 
Yeah, no, I get that. And I totally agree, of course, as it improves, the cost will drop generally. But even so, I think the takeaway from your point here is definitely the need to focus on fleet services and mobility, as you say, in B2B. So as you might be familiar with UC Davis professor Daniel Sperling, he's often referred to what he calls the three revolutions of an autonomous future, right? So electrification, automation, and what he calls pooling, or we would say car sharing, right? Exactly. And it just kind of made me think. So I just by chance, the other day, I learned of a startup in San Francisco called Scoot. I think it's called Scoot. Um, they basically do carpooling services. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I read a bit more about them. And indeed, it turns out that they are explicitly used, singularly used for establishing carpooling rides uh, as between folks who live in the Bay Area and specific companies. So they're effectively a, I mean, they're, they're kind of B2C, but they're, I think their business model is essentially B2B is what they are, right? They exactly. partner up with these enterprise companies. And so, so anyway, so I read this and I, you can see where I'm going with this, right? So I read this and I'm thinking, I'm sure these guys didn't just decide to start up a carpooling company and that's the end of it. My assumption is that this is laying the groundwork insofar as the service, which can then be applied to a fleet of autonomous cars, because of course, it, would this be then a good use case? Do you see it that way? Just what little I've mentioned, maybe you know about them as well. Oh, absolutely. I think that their business case makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, just from a level of geofencing control, if you have a specific, let's just say route that the, the car is taken over and over yep. again, that would simplify the complexity of the deployment massively because you sure. don't have to count to every road, every area. It's It's within that one route or two routes, what have you. So it's a pretty clever idea, actually. Well, to everybody who's listening to this podcast, uh, they know what my next question is going to be because I, I like to ask this a lot. Um, you mentioned geofencing. Yep. And one of the things I've been saying really ad nauseum is I don't get this obsession with trying to rush level five cars out the road. Um, again, you mentioned, geofence you mentioned geofencing. So my my the thing that I've been saying lately is, why not just embrace what's essentially level four cars? As I often say, you know, we look to trains, you know, uh, overhead electric buses, that kind of thing. And those are effectively geofenced things. Right. But nobody looked at them and said, oh, those are so limited. Rather, they're quite liberating, in fact. And so do you agree? Why not just focus on level four and just call it a day? I totally agree with that. My, my uh, personal opinion on level five, that it's a dream that will probably come true but i'm not really i'm not I'm willing to bet on when because the leap from level four level five is is huge and right. uh, and now the reality is setting in and i think uh, a little bit of uh, a reality check is coming to play in terms of the level four even and expectations for that and i totally agree with the geofencing part because we need a little bit of uh, of crawling before running or what walking what have you and i think it's going to give us a lot of learning that will set us up further once we start figuring out you know these these deployments in a phased approach and not really kind of take on the world you know make it a robot taxi that can go anywhere uh, it's unrealistic uh it's really unrealistic and level four in some ways is geofence geofence in my opinion because if you consider urban driving versus highway driving uh, highway driving to me is a little bit more of a geofenced uh easier deployment than deploying in Los Angeles or any urban type environment because there's so many factors you have to account for, you know, pedestrians, cyclists, uh, you know, pets, who knows, uh, many things that could really occur uh, versus a highway where it's a little more controlled access, 
there's a little bit of an easier, uh, relatively easier deployment of, of, the, uh, of the vehicle. Right. So I've been suggesting this for a while is that I would imagine these will indeed start to be deployed, first of all, on dedicated lanes on freeways and certain boulevards and streets and cities, really in the same way that we've got pedestrian only zones in certain areas. I'm thinking, for example, I don't know, Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica, closer to you, right? Um, that we should, of course, have AV only lanes and, and roads. And of course, now you may have heard China have just announced that they're building an autonomous vehicle only freeway. Mm. I think what it is, it's a regular freeway. But I think they've got dedicated two AV only lanes in each direction, if I'm not mistaken. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So let's see. What? So uh, can you go into a bit more detail then insofar as kind of the various um, – well, yeah, let's just dive a little deeper into the kind of work that you're doing. Is it with certain of the OEMs? Um, and if so, do you see them potentially – so one of the big questions we get a lot is – Will the OEMs eventually be able to kind of overtake the likes of, of Waymo and, and Tesla, right? Because it, that, that is kind of an intriguing thing to wonder. My hunch is uh, not necessarily, um, but, I, you know, how do you perceive all this? Like, what's going to play out in the next five years? So I got to be careful how I answer this because they're... Yeah, I know you do. That's why I asked. <laughs> they're all our customers. So uh, we exactly. work with, uh, with the OEMs, uh, you know, we have a strong automotive business today that is in the tune of, you know, three to five billion uh, with the line of sight of that uh, in 2020. But, you know, we do work with, we're in Silicon Valley. So we work with the Silicon Valley companies as well. And so the major tech giants are involved in this space. We work with them. We also work with the mobility companies, you know, so we're getting pretty much a pull from a diverse cross section of customers around this. It's, it's really, for me personally, very exciting because I get to, uh, you know, talk to my peers uh, in the industry, you know, on the automotive OEM side who people I've worked with in the past. And I get to meet new people, entrepreneurs, innovators who are thinking of uh, either people delivery or, you know, package delivery, if you will, uh, companies that are thinking from an autonomous perspective. Uh, to me, to declare a winner uh, is too early. I mean, we, we want them all to win, obviously, uh, yep. you know, or from our perspective. Uh, but definitely there are certain companies that have a leg up or a history of starting this journey much earlier than anybody else. And I think you know who that is. So uh, it's it's uh, definitely is an advantage to that uh, because the the advantage is in the software and the algorithms and, and the machine learning and the deep learning that has been acquired over time to adjust for the corner cases and, and, and the, the risk, anticipating the risk or minimizing the risk. And have those learnings in your back pocket, I think, will give you some level of advantage of uh, being kind of in that lead position uh, compared to your competitors or uh, the other players. So if I had to kind of give my personal perspective, I would say that would be the case. You know, people who started early have a leg up because, again, uh, this is not about building a hardware platform. This is software learning, machine learning, deep learning. It takes time to get that, you know, uh, knowledge and know-how. Uh, bookshelf and in your hip pocket and it gives you an advantage i believe um, well yeah well to the point of corner cases that seems to especially support the the deployment strategy of focusing only on level four vehicles right because by definition if you're geofenced you're going to you will you will have the ability to limit if not eliminate corner cases just by definition right that's true that's true yeah so there's definitely that too that's going to help uh kind of bridge that gap between the leading uh, entity and the, the, the players behind it, 
because once you have that level of uh, control and minimizing that corner case scenario, it's going to kind of converge everyone around uh, deployments. You know, there's definitely going to be varying gaps, but certainly bridge the bridges, the, the gap between uh, all the players for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I wanted to ask a question about at least one or two of the following. Uh, I'll let you pick what you like. Uh, as between the following, 5G, HD maps, and testing autonomous vehicles, first of all, in simulators, and then deploying them for the streets. Right. Do you have any insight into at least one or several of those? I mean, I have some insight on all, and I think simulation is really, to me, the number one priority compared to the others you mentioned. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, simulation for sure. Now, I actually learned that recently. So uh, I was in a workshop which we had one of subject matter experts, and the, we listed in that workshop all kinds of um, technologies, which include 5G and, and the other aspects. And uh, simulation was one of them. So I put it down on the list just because it is there. And pretty much in that workshop, simulation came in number one as number one priority from every team that was in the workshop. And so it makes sense because simulation will reduce that physical deployment and really limits the fact that, you know, driving on the road, collecting information. If you can do it in a virtual environment and you can definitely reduce the cost, you can fasten the time to market. I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Simulation. Now, 5G, I think there's a lot of talk about 5G and how it fits into that ecosystem. To me, it's not as critical for for this space uh, as uh, many some will believe. To me, once we actually hit a, a level five, totally, fully, uh, completely autonomous uh, robot taxi or robot, robot vehicle, there's definitely a lot of use cases for 5G that will come in handy, you know, and it will help in that deployment. But you don't need 5G for, for level four. You, you don't need 5G for what we're working on, uh, for sure. It's a complementary technology for something that would, you know, help realize the full dream, a full potential of autonomy. But for the near term, midterm, I wouldn't call it a priority. But I put simulation on top of the list as the highest priority in creating uh, more and faster time to market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess two questions on those two points then. Um, let's see. With respect to, well, I guess I'll mention 5G first uh, since that was the last one you said. Uh, so, so with respect to 5G, I feel like there's a lot of confusion in so far as its potential value to autonomous cars. I mean, I think from a consumer point of view, all people hear is, oh, 5G is going to be more and faster and more Netflix download streaming, et cetera, you know, um, but, but I, my understanding is that the real value is going to be with respect to its latency, essentially down to one millisecond of latency, which seems to make perfectly good sense for things like remote medical operations, you know, surgical machines, that kind of thing. And right. obviously if you have remotely operated vehicles or vehicles in general, which need, well, essentially as close to zero latency as possible, but there's an argument which suggests that before you can even get there, the car needs to be able to do this on its own. Right. Um, and that we would never, ever, you know, entrust any sort of a cloud solution to something as time critical as vehicle decisions with respect to driving. So doesn't that sort of cause 5G to be kind of DOA before it's even released? I, I, you know, I don't want to declare it that way yet, but I think you are running on the right track. And, and one thing to mention here, kind of to augment what you're saying, is that when you talk to the telecom companies, you know, I think there's people that have this perception that, 5G will replace 4G. But from what, what I'm from reading the tea leaves, there's going to be a complementary 4G, 5G deployment, meaning 
four G is not going away. It's, I mean, LTE is right. not going away. So, how do you account for the fact that some areas may have LTE, some four uh, G, or some areas may have five G? You can't depend on that, right? You can't, especially since five G has such a short range, right? It, it is a, a lower uh, frequency, yeah. you know. Okay. So, so you know, from my point of view, so I guess it's higher frequency, lower, smaller range, right? Lower and lower range, yeah. More and more right. deployments, more cells. Right. So, but the the use case for five G, for example, would be platooning. Right. So when we talk about platooning, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. you know things like that. And so again, we're talking again a little bit further down the road uh, type of application of autonomous vehicles. I mean, to be let's get the car to get to function uh, well and repeatedly in a level four environment. You know what we call it geofence or not, and then we start thinking about uh, you know these other use cases that five G enable. You know the latency, the the uh, the, the pooling. Uh, the uh, augmented reality application of information into the vehicle, you know, uh, using using that type of speed with 5G provides. But again, how do you deal with the hybrid approach of having this this space technology LTE augmented by 5G? I mean, that's, to me, uh, is a very important question as well. Right, right. Um, let's see. And then what do you think about uh, HD maps? There's a lot, I mean, because it seems somewhat related to the discussion about 5G. They tend to get kind of lumped together insofar as optimally you'd be collecting all this data in real time for mapping, and then this would be right. immediately sent to the cloud and so on and so forth. Um, is that a sort of a condition precedent for deployment of at least L4, if not L5 vehicles? Well, it is a must. I mean, you must have some level of data that is, you know, locally, organically available within the vehicle to adjust. I mean, to me, if any, if anything, you need that level of uh, information available at the vehicle level in which you need to do route planning. Because, again, you don't want to depend too much on the, uh, the connectivity or on the outside world to take you from point A to point B. And therefore, you need that level of information to guide the vehicle, you know, on its own using route planning and route mapping to a centimeter or a very uh, precision-like uh, error state. You know, right now, you know, the high-definition maps, that's what they do, versus a regular map that gives you within three meters. You know, that's right. a, too much room for error in plus or minus three meters, right? So, uh, so it is important to have that. And the beauty of, of the solutions that we see out there is that the, the utilization of the input, you mentioned the LiDAR, you mentioned the cameras. You mentioned these inputs that can help tremendously in in updating uh, updating these type of maps real time, because as they drive on the road, they're collecting imagery, uh, signs, they're collecting real time information about the road conditions, and that information will be fed real time into that database uh, and get compiled, whether it's you know off board or on board, to make sure that there's the latest and greatest information available uh, for for the vehicles. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems if you extend this to its logical conclusion, though, eventually, if, say, camera vision reaches its end game, then it seems that apart from at least static mapping to at least give a general sense of the world around the car, it seems then that if camera vision becomes good enough, the need for so-called real-time updated maps, by definition, should almost be rendered obsolete, right? I mean... Uh, the idea being that we humans do a pretty good job without having real-time updates of everything around us. We're just processing things with our eyes, right? So lo logically, putting aside for a moment how difficult it will be to get there, isn't that end game? Um, won't that be the result where yeah. the camera vision should be sufficient? 
Uh, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. You still need some level of uh, data that is there to essentially cross-reference what the camera is seeing or the input or sensory information is being pulled in. Because it's got to be some level of uh, you know we have like in our humans we have memory, right? So we have memory. So think of the map as the information that's stored in our memory to know where we need we need to go as we depend on that memory. So without having that memory of sorts that can tell you where to go, where you need to go, it'll be difficult to depend just on the, the eyes alone, right? If you have the eyes and not the brain, then you know it wouldn't be really as useful. So I don't see it being uh, an or condition. I see it as an and condition. You need, mm, you need the information and you need the accessory information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. So let's see, uh, with respect for your time and the five minutes we have left, uh, I'd love to just kind of open it up to you uh, if there's any particular topic we haven't touched on yet that you'd love to kind of dive into and share with all of us. Um, you know, obviously, you've got a pretty nice high-level view on the whole industry generally, hence my uh, request here to open it up to you. No, I mean, to me, it's if I look into uh, lessons from the past, I mean, there's definitely uh, the past repeating itself into the future. And if you take take a look what's going on in the in the server space the compute space you know computing uh storage networking you know all that stuff we we talk about in buildings and in enterprise and in data centers and it's really interesting to see how that is making its way now into the car and uh, the car is becoming more in this data center on wheels it's incredible True. how uh, how fast uh, the pace of change has embarked upon us and it's really exciting you know I, again i talk about why I joined a company like Flex is because it is at the heart of it, you know, and it's uh, chugging away for a decade or, or, or so in compute and storage and networking. And I saw this kind of uh, this opportunity to take those lessons and lessons learned, knowledge and know-how and apply to automotive, which is a totally new frontier, uh, you know, for automotive. And uh, so it's really interesting to see how that is happening and shaping up how the enterprise is, is kind of uh, being deployed in the, in the auto space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess, um, I know it's kind of a super open-ended question, but what, what is your, just your personal take on the societal acceptance of autonomous cars? What's it really going to take for people to just agree that this is obviously the way things are supposed to be? Well, there are definitely, definitely varying opinions on that. Yep. Uh, and if you do a cross-section uh, cross-section of uh, asking the question to a group of people, and let's right. say they vary totally in their... totally depends on the demographic, right? Yeah, in demographic. You'll find varying degrees of acceptance. So uh, for people like myself, uh, you know, I'm a Gen Xer and I love driving and, and it'll be hard for me to give up control. Uh, but, you know, I'm in the 405 freeway, as you <laughs> know, right? On 6 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. I may want to give up that control because, you know, the whole start stop and dealing with the with the stress of uh, of dealing with that aspect of driving to me is not fun. So I'll be more than happy to kind of like hand over the control to the car for the car to kind of manage that drive. And I can just sit back maybe and relax a little bit. But let's just say I'm driving on the highway one, you know, yeah, uh, PCH. California. Yeah, PCH. Oh, yeah. I, I want to have the top down. Oh, yeah. And I want to feel good about it because I'm in control of my car. So I don't know if that answers the question. So it's going to be a varying degrees of acceptance. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that actually just reminded me of a thing, though, that you just said, uh, you know, being on the 405 stuck in traffic. I made a comment a few episodes back that I had recently I was recently driving along up here in the Bay Area about an hour's drive at nighttime. And 
admittedly, I was a bit sleepy. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know, it's true. If you had a semi-autonomous car right now, um, with emphasis on the semi, uh, yeah. like a Tesla with autopilot, which is good as it is, it occurred to me that um, it would be easier, or I should say it would be less difficult uh, to just fall asleep if you're sufficiently right. tired enough. So this, of course, raises the big point with respect to driver monitoring systems. Um, yeah. And you know, it really got me thinking that if ever there was an element to the deployment of autonomous cars from a legal and policy point of view, because again, my, my background is as a lawyer, so I always can't help but see things through this lens, right? Even though admittedly, it sometimes gets in the way of things. Um, then surely driver monitoring systems should be the singular mandated element. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe we didn't talk about it much, but this is another area that we actually are focused on as well from a flex point of view in cabin monitoring, you know, v, uh, driver monitoring, uh, and cabin sensing, and those are technologies that I see go in parallel, as well as the compute development or the LiDAR development or all these other uh, ecosystem developments. These are equally important because to your point, you know, knowing what's going on in that cabin and adjusting to that and knowing the state of that uh, in-cabin uh, person is really important to the whole equation to make sure we have a complete strategy as well. So. That's a very good point. Which ends up getting a bit weird too, though, from if you extend this to its logical conclusion insofar as privacy and everything. I mean, you know, obviously we're used to having cameras in taxis, trains, buses, and so yeah. on, of course. Yeah. And admittedly, to the point of how this conversation started, the autonomous future generally presupposes a car sharing future. And I get that. I accept it. I agree with it. Even mm -hmm. though, like you, I'm a total car guy. I love driving. Um, you know, just I think an episode or two back, I had Abdo Mahmoud from Effectiva. Uh, on the show and you know th their whole point was that they're focusing not just on driver monitoring but all the you know occupant monitoring generally so everybody in the car right. as far as really understanding are you okay are you comfortable are you getting car sick <laughs> um, but but again from a but it, and it makes sense to imagine this sort of a thing in say autonomous buses and, and trains and things but if, if you know until we can bridge that gap from Here's a little pod car, which is, yeah, it's autonomous, but it still is yours privately to, here's a slightly larger pod car. And oh, by the way, it's shared by everybody, but it's not really a bus or a train in which we're already okay with potential privacy breaches of cameras everywhere. It, it, I just feel like it's a weird sort of interim phase to bridge that gap, right? From a privacy point of view, cameras yeah. everywhere, monitoring even your emotions and how you're feeling. I could right. see that getting a lot of pushback, even if the end result is a net win for everybody. No, I, totally. I mean, I get in some of the uh, ride-sharing cars, and there's a camera in there. I feel uncomfortable. I mean, oh, it's, so totally, I understand uh, your point. On that. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome, Henry. Look, this has been really great. I mean, like I said at the start of this, I mean, it's. I, I do believe you are the only guest we've had on the show from this unique point of view, being at Flex. Sort of, like I said, this really high-level view of the industry as a whole. So it's really been great to get your feedback and your thoughts and everything. So yeah, thank you very much for joining me this morning. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed the conversation as well. Very thank good. You. Thank yeah. you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. Uh, don't forget, if you'd like to be a guest on the show or if you're a PR agency and you're reaching out on behalf of a potential guest, just head on over to markhogue.com or autonomoushogue.com. It's all the same. In the top right corner, you'll find a link where you can uh, submit a booking request. 
Other than that, um, I will be back here on Friday. Uh, So thank you so much for listening. Please continue to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And uh, frankly, now that I'm actually active on Reddit, that'd be fantastic if you'd share it over there as well. Um, And of course, don't forget to leave uh, more of the spectacular five-star ratings that I've been receiving over on iTunes podcasts. So thanks again so much for everything. Have a wonderful rest of the week. I'll see you back here on Friday. Bye-bye.